All right, our travel guide who's uh, doing a little bit of talking travel on the road today, Sally Lucas, you're going cross-country. Glad that you could stop by. Yeah, thanks, Mark. We are certainly going cross-country, and I believe you've had some wild weather there, have you, today? Sydney Airport was closed, and we had it yesterday. Unbelievable. I know, it's sweeping across the southern part of the country, one form or another. You'll be, though, focusing on a couple of spots today that, uh, I've got to say, look pretty good. Yeah, Mungo National Park, which is incredible, and Arkarula Wilderness Sanctuary, which is also amazing. All right, we'll look forward to getting into some of that with our travel guide. Sally Lucas, all part of Talking Travel today. 2NURFM 103.7, more of the good times, the great music, and Talking Travel with our travel guide, Sally Lucas, who's on location. And uh, Sally, one part of the country you'd like to focus on first here today uh, is a little spot in southwestern New South Wales, the Mungo National Park. It's quite an incredible park, Mark. It's our second visit. But why it is so incredible is that they discovered some 50 years ago the remains of a man called uh, Mungo Man and also beside to that Mungo Woman, which just changed virtually the um, history of Australia because they had no idea or they'd never had evidence before that there was uh, records of Aboriginal life back that far. So it, it is really quite a remarkable part of, of our country. And it was originally part of what they called the Willandra Lake system, which were beautiful lakes back in their day, of which Mungo is one of those lakes. But it is since, or they have all since, dried up about 17,500 years ago. But what's been preserved there when they dried up is extinct megafauna, and one of the longest continual records of Aboriginal life in Australia. So it's very, very significant, and so significant that it was added to the World Heritage List in 1981. So it it is remarkable, and it was all discovered by a gentleman um, who was, was about out there to do with climate change more than anything else. He wasn't an actual, you know, an archaeologist or anything like that. So he actually was just stumbled upon, Jim Bowler was his name, Professor Jim Bowler, in 1969, he stumbled upon these cremated remains that became known as Mungo Lady. She was only 18 years old, and they're not sure, you know, what was wrong with her or how she died, because she was apparently cremated but burnt, then reburnt and reburnt. So they don't know whether she had a disease that they didn't want to pass through the community or for what other reason that, that they did that. But that, so that was remarkable in itself. But he went back a, a few years later in 1974. Again, he was, you know, looking for rocks and all sorts of clues about ancient climate change. And as I said, he wasn't an archaeologist and he hadn't set out to find human remains. But the next thing, he just happened to be, um, you know, scrabbling through some areas and stumbled across a Mungo man. At that stage, he thought, no, I, I can't touch this, and he got on touch, in touch with the ANU, um, who then came downstairs and, and removed Mungo Man. Um, and later on, they actually found, which I didn't know, Mungo Child, but they checked with the elders, and they said, no, no, they didn't want uh, the child to be removed, and so it was just completely covered over again and reburied. And since then, of course, the, the Indigenous people weren't happy that Mungo Lady and Mungo Man had been taken away from this area. So it was only in the last few, not that long ago, that they actually have returned them to where they came from. But we do not know where they've been reburied. That is a secret to the Indigenous people. And there's about three different tribes of, you know, that belong to this area. They don't live there anymore. They're, they're not there. It was all in the past, as I said, because um, at the last, as the last ice age waned 12,000 years ago, water no longer flowed from the highlands to replenish the lakes. 
of course, when they were full, they were abundant with, you know, fish and food and, you know, so they lived there very well. And that, as I said, has now changed and that's what happens with climate. It's cyclical. We go through ice ages and all these different sort of ages. But what it's done, the lake kept sweeping as it was drying up this amount of sand and a bit of clay towards the eastern side of, of, of the what was the lake. And it's become what they call the Great Walls of China. There was a lot of Chinese were working in Australia at that time, um, you know, working in mines and all sorts of things. And when they were building up of these um, sand and clay deposits, it reminded them of home. So that's how it got the name, the Great the Great Walls of China. And it's quite spectacular, the different formations. When you think it's all just done by erosion, and it's windswept, and it windswept rather, there's no rocks, there's nothing in it. It looks like a lunar landscape, basically. Um, and it's the only way I can describe it. Um, but, yeah, so quite a, it's a UNESCO World Heritage listed as well. And, you know, you can do a wonderful tour there. The only way you can get into this actual Walls of China area is with a guide because they want it to be protected because there's still middens everywhere that's exposing uh, some of the original fauna and the bones that remain of them, their teeth, all sorts of things. We, you know, we saw all this and they keep checking with the elders if it's being eroded too much. Do they want some of those remains removed or are they to be left there? So, you know, in years to come, who knows, a thousand years, whatever, there may be not much of this left, but certainly for the moment, it, it's spectacular. And to go back and see it at sunset with the sun streaming on these beautiful lunar landscapes, you get all the most different colours in the world. It's absolutely spectacular. Look, it really sounds like a pretty magical place, uh, again, in the southwestern area of New South Wales. Sally, uh, next little bit coming up shortly, we'll be taking a look at a nice little spot on the northern Flinders Ranges. Yes, uh, Karula, which is considered one of the best areas to visit uh, the to view rather the night sky. So we'll oh. talk a little bit about that. Up, sounds pretty good. A little bit more talking travel. Travel guide is here, who is uh, wanting to take us uh, still in Australia today, Sally, as part of your travels. The Northern Flinders Ranges, a nice little spot there. It's very rugged, Mark, and very very dry. And this is where you can really notice what's happening with climate change. Um, so many dead trees now that was once not like that. Um, even last year, they only had 254 millimetres of rain and hardly any this year. So it's a very harsh country, but again, stunningly beautiful. Um, and as I said, it is home to one of the best places in the world as far as astronomers are concerned because it's got what they call the, you know, the dark sky sanctuary. And it was South Australia's first designated dark sky sanctuary. So of an evening, honestly, it's just unbelievable. And you honestly feel minuscule. You can't believe how little you know about the universe until you sit under the stars and with a qualified person, of course, astronomer, explaining the galaxy and the clusters, the nebulae, the, the stars, the, the planets, you know, and you're looking through these incredible uh, astronomical binoculars, which are quite strong, of course, and in a relaxed chair that they give you, this chair that tilts back so you can keep looking up and, you know, it's just... And they've also got these now, they've introduced these robotic chairs, which is amazing. They only have three of them at the moment, so you pay a bit extra and you sit in this chair and it actually... You don't have to hold anything to look at them. You have this special equipment attached to your head that actually follows the telescope around as he's pointing at all these different stars. But when we're looking at it through the binoculars, he's pointing at the stars with like a laser beam, and so we can just follow that around. And look, honestly, it is amazing, absolutely amazing. But the actual landscape itself is just... oh. 
the colours again. Geologists go nuts. You know, it's got every formation of quartz and, and granite. There was originally even copper there. And, and the different varieties and the shininess of some of the, the rock formations is, is unbelievable. So whether you're a, a bird watcher or a bushwalker or an astronomer or just a, a four-wheel drive adventurer, which you, you do need to be, um, geologists or just about anyone with a sense of adventure and a quest for knowledge, it's an incredible place to go. Now, one of the fantastic things we did, and I must admit, if you're scared of heights, you might want to do it. It's a thrilling four-wheel drive ridgetop tour, which has been an attraction there since 1969. And people from all ages and all parts of the globe know about this tour and come just to do it. And you're travelling in a four-wheel drive, guided four-wheel drive tour. You can't do it on your own. You can only do it in their vehicle, which is like a, a Toyota, those rugged vehicles with about, it sits about 10 in the back on bench-style seats. And you're going through this landscape that's as old as the continent itself. You know, when we're talking millions of years old, across razorback ridges and peaks and rugged mountains and, you know, valleys, and then you end up with a climax. You look at this ahead in the distance, you see this outcrop or I don't know what you like to call it, but it's a really tiny little ridge. We end up getting up there on a four-wheel drive and they give you lamington some tea. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's, it's almost straight, not, it's not straight up, but it's unbelievable. And then the guys that rent such wonderful drivers, of course, which they have to be, they do a three-point turn on what's about the size of a, oh, I don't know, don't know how they do it, put it that way. Very, very uh, tight, huh? So, uh, yeah, my husband's not a fan of the height, so he didn't go right to the edge. But even just the drive itself, like, you've got no fences. You've got nothing. And, I mean, the, the increase of the inclines and, and also the steepness of the declines, and luckily, you know, they do when they can get a bulldozer in. And how clever is he to try and make it so that they, he pushes the runoff so when they do get the rain here, they're not going to ever get bogged or or stuck, you know what I mean? So it, it's just unbelievable. And again, there are walks you can do. They, they'll drive you to a start of a walk, then you can walk back into the camp and, and do all that. But it was originally started by a family called Spreeks, and it's still in the Spreeks family. So it's a family-owned property. And it was, um, Reg Spreeks was the first person who started it. And he also found what they call, uh, there's a, a park called an Eddie Akara Conservation Park, now, he first discovered fossils there in this range in 1946, which provided the first evidence of the Earth's earliest multicellular life. So a diversity of marine creatures that colonised the seafloor some 630 million years ago. And this find led to the declaration in the 1990s sorry, of the Ediacaran period. And this was the first addition to the geological timescale in 120 years. So that's quite remarkable in itself, isn't it? It really is. And it's quite funny. So I know we we talk a lot about a lot of international destinations, and they're great too. But it is marvellous to know there are such these wonderful places that we can go to relatively quickly from right here. Exactly. And I mean, it sounds a long way. Like, it was about 1160 kilometres to drive from Newcastle to Mungo, but you break it. Like, we stopped at Griffith, or you could stop at Wagga. And I mean, from there, we stopped at a place called Peterborough in, um, in South Australia, which is an interesting little town in itself. It was established in 1875. And it was on the promise of a new rail route between Adelaide and the Gorwich town of Silverton, which is just outside Broken Hill. So it's, it's actually got one of the greatest, um, railway museums there now and it's all railway history at a steamed town heritage rail centre but apart from that they've got all sorts of attractions on offer in Peterborough as well it's only a small town but all these small towns Mark they're so well kept 
they're so proud of their towns and there's all these little gardens or, you know, even when we drove through Mildura, you know, the pride in the town. I think they're saying, Newcastle, will you come and have a look at what some of these places are doing? You know, and they're just so well-preserved and so pretty and they're so passionate about their area. So it's just wonderful to be travelling through all these areas of Australia and seeing you know, what we're doing and what we're preserving. Because we all get a bit negative sometimes and think we're not preserving anything. But obviously we are, but we just need to do more. But yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful drives. I mean, going to the Murrumbidgee Irrigation Area, our food bowl of Australia with all the, the orchards, the vineyards, all the canola fields, the colours of the yellow, the green. They've obviously had a lot of rain in that area when we were driving through. It was just stunning. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, sounds pretty good. Sally, I know you've been doing the holiday thing, but you've still been able to find a couple of hot deals for us. Well, I found you a couple of deals, whether they're hot or not is another reason. Lukewarm? Well, well, the weather we're having, <laughs> we'll go do the lukewarm ones. <laughs> We've been having beautiful weather until yesterday. We've just had not a cloud in the sky. Then we had rain and hail. We had everything all in one day, as I think you copped it today. Strong winds and, yeah, the temperature dropped down to about 12 degrees. So, yep, been very chilly. Anyhow, this is um, a, a wonderful tour. We can do two different versions of it. It's an 11-day tour of Outback South Australia, or if you want to make it uh, include Kangaroo Island for three days, it becomes a 14-day tour. So entirely up to you, you know, which option you would like to take. And this operates at various different departures throughout the year. So Kangaroo Island, obviously, if you go there, it's a stunning part of the world as well. Um, you stay in Kingscote for three nights, and you do day trips out exploring Kangaroo Island. And it is just so fabulous. It's it, Again, I've been there twice, and it's, it's just remarkable, including which there is a, a remarkable rocks uh, particular outlook. So there you go. That's how remarkable it is. Um, and you've also got Admiral's Arch, which is another incredible um, structure, you know, made natural Mother Nature structure in Flinders Chase National Park. You could also go to Seal Bay where you meet sea lions up close on a ranger guided beach walk as well. Now, that's if you're doing Kangaroo Island, of course, and if you're not, well, that's okay. You then just leave um, Adelaide and you're heading up to Wilpena Pound, which is where I've actually just arrived recently. I'll talk about that next week. And Wilpena Pound, of course, is another remarkable area which we'll discuss further. Um, and then you continue on to... Um, via um, a Burkina Gorge. Now, I've driven through that gorge before, and it is so picturesque. It's considered, considered rather one of the best drives you can do, and it's on along an old riverbed, and it's just stunning. And that takes you through up to Arkarula and also to Maree, which is another interesting town that you'll visit. You go by Woomera to Port Augusta and you come back to Adelaide. But in the middle of all this, of course, you're staying in an underground hotel in Cupertini, which is fantastic. And it also supplies, of course, 70% of the world's precious opals, which it's famous for. You go on the Udnadaha track and you go to William Creek and the Painted Hills. You visit Woomera, Port Augusta, and you come back to Adelaide. And you also do an air tour over an air tour, that sounds, pun on words now, over Lake, over lake Air, <laughs> or Catty Tunda, it is now, exactly. it's proper name. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so that's one option. Uh, the departures on that do range, um, you know, usually between April and October, because obviously you don't go to any of these areas in summer. Um, it's just, yeah, far, far, far too hot. And now the other one, if you're really feeling adventurous, is a hiking tour you can do out of Adelaide. 
which starts and ends in Adelaide, with walking and hiking and trekking in the Akara Flinders Ranges National Park. And you're, you're doing um, staying in one area once you get to the Flinders Ranges. You stay at Lawnsley Park Station, and each day you're going to go out and do some wonderful walking stops, including lunches, beautiful areas you'll, you'll visit again, and you end up back. After that, you will peen a pound again, our carulas I've mentioned, and you end up back at Ronsley Park. Now, we, last time I came, I stayed at Ronsley Park Station, and there's many stations you can stay at if you want to have a look at it on your website, if you ever want to come to South Australia. The plethora of wonderful, you know, stations you can stay at will have all sorts of facilities for you to enjoy, whether it's bushwalks, sometimes it's a camel ride, a horse ride. Um, you know, they've often got the equivalent of anything from cottages down to free camping to powered sites. So a lot of these home stations do, you know, obviously operate as um, accommodation or, you know, tourism businesses as well as being working stations. So just keep that in mind because there's some fantastic stations you can stay at. So that's about all for my hot deals, Mark, today because I'm sort of finding it difficult to sometimes get, um, you know... um, the internet and, and look up things, but look, I'll do what I can each week. Sally, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that. You've bought a, quite a few today. <laughs> so uh, so over the next week, whereabouts will you be travelling through? Uh, I know we'll hear a lot by the time next Friday rolls around, but uh, what's then, next? Well, we'll pin a pound will be next on the agenda. And then the Clare Valley, that wonderful Riesling tasting version of uh, the wine regions of South Australia, one of the many. Of course, we know they've got Harndorf, which is the lovely German village, Barossa, McLaren Vale, Coonawara, and so the list goes on. But we'll, we'll do the Clare, and we'll do we'll Peanut Pound next week, and I'll see what else I can scrape up. All right, sounds like a decent place to start. And enjoy the rest of the trip, Sally. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll catch you in a week from here. Thanks a lot, Mark. Bye for now. Our travel guide, Sally Lucas, doing a bit of a trip of her own, actually. The On the Road Again edition of Talking Travel will be back next Friday from 1. And you can actually follow some of Sally's adventures up on our website at the moment. Some of the photos coming through looking pretty nice as well up at 2NURFM.com.au.